who is the greatest of all time? I mean, when we think of someone being the greatest, like the greatest president or the greatest actor or actress, who comes to mind? Well, for some, it may be the uh, beloved teacher from our past. I recall one of my teachers that I just someone posted on Facebook this past week that I hadn't seen in a long time. Hadn't thought about him in a long time until I saw that picture, I think, just, uh, just yesterday. And I realized what great work he did in our lives. For some, it may be that actor who excels in portraying characters, either in motion pictures or on television. For others, it might be that honored and revered social justice activist or some founder of some type of movement that you really respect. Then there are those who are so great that only their words can really describe how great they are. Muhammad Ali said these things. He says, I float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. Speaking of George Foreman. Then another time he says, I am so fast that last night I turned off the light switch in my hotel room and got in the bed before the room turned dark. Then he says, there's not a man alive who can whoop me. I'm too smart. I'm too pretty. I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way I'll ever get licked. And then uh, as he tries to intimidate Joe Frazier by comparing uh, his looks uh, Muhammad Ali's look with Joe Frazier's look, he says this about Joe Frazier. He says, Joe Frazier is so ugly that when he cries, the tears turn around and go down the back of his head. Well, only time will tell whether or not Ali was the greatest boxer of all. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus called people to become his disciples, and uh, this same issue came up. Well, who is the greatest? Is someone always trying to trump you on your job, either because of finances or because of a title. You know, I'm better than you are. Imagine that Jesus himself, uh, that he had to deal with the same issue concerning those folks whom he was teaching, was right there in his presence. So if you would, enter with me in the conversation between a teacher and his students about achieving greatness. Uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And here we discover the quest for greatness in our intense pursuit of it. Our quest 
for greatness in our intense pursuits of that greatness. Here in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, it says this. And they came down to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, this is Jesus asking his disciples, he asked them this question, uh, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, it says here in verse 34. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Greatness is a pursuit uh, for those seeking recognition. So for some folks, they're seeking greatness because uh, they are seeking some type of recognition in their life. Now it's one thing when someone else calls you great, but another thing when you designate greatness to yourself. But either way, we know that uh, the greatness title is one that, that can always be challenged. So Jesus, he begins by asking his disciples here in verse 33, uh, what were you discussing on the way? And I find this question very interesting that Jesus asked. For that matter, uh, whenever Jesus asks a question, typically it's always for the individual to dig deeper, deeper into their hearts or because he wants to include them in the conversation uh, that they were having. But an attribute of God is is, is that he knows everything. In other words, a characteristic of God, uh, like for instance, we know that if you believe in God, that God, he must possess all power. This is his attribute, or this is one of his characteristics, uh, that, that God must be all-powerful. Another attribute of God is that he must know everything. We call this God's omniscience, uh, that God must know everything. So, okay, we get it. If you're saying that Jesus is God, that means that he must know everything. And if Jesus knows everything, then what business in the world does he have asking a question? John chapter 2, verse 24 John chapter 2, verse 24 says, But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus, he knew man. He knew people. He knew women. He knew boys and girls. He knew exactly what was forming in their hearts. Yet, he asked them the question, what were you discussing on the way? Often this technique of questioning by the Lord is employed to engage in conversation with people about their struggles and concerns. You know, sometimes I find out that one thing that we really want sometimes, we just want someone to simply ask us, how are you doing? You know how you struggle. You know how it's hard sometimes. And, and, and sometimes all we need is, is for someone to simply ask us a question, how are you doing today? In fact, if you were still enough, if you were quiet enough and discerning enough, 
You could probably even hear the Lord asking you this question even now. What's on your mind? What's really bothering you now? But a lot of times because uh, we are so engaged in, in, in social media and in the screens of our telephone, our teenagers, we call those screenagers, right? Uh, that, that we're so involved in all these different things that there is no time to get still. In fact, the only time that we have to get still is when we struggle to get into the bed at night. Then we're still, uh, but during the course of the day, have we ever stopped to ask or to hear the voice of the Lord asking us the question, what's on your mind right now? <laughs> Jesus never asked a question as a simple gesture of courtesy. Jesus is not asking a question like we sometimes do when we pass our neighbors, when we pass our co-workers, or when we pass our fellow students. How are you doing? It's, just, it's nothing but a courtesy of simply saying hi. And we really don't want to hang around long enough to find out how they're really doing because honestly, deep down inside, we really don't want to hear any of that drama. That all we really want to do is just be polite. And so Jesus was not being polite by asking the question, what were you discussing along the way? What is that on your mind right now? But in response to Jesus' inquiry, about this conversation, they begin to spill their guts before the one who is omniscient, the one who knows everything, right? Well, no. They were quiet. Typically, when a person keeps quiet after being asked a question, it's for a few reasons. We know. Either because, number one, they're thinking carefully about how they need to respond. Or... They just don't want to talk because they're so mad at you or something else, they just can't form the words out of their mouth at that time. Or well, it could simply be because they don't want you to enter their world. They don't know who you are. Wait a minute. Uh, why are you going to ask me this question? I don't know who you are. I'm not going to uh, divulge to you what's going on in my life. Or here it is. They have something to hide. So here, the disciples had been arguing and were probably too embarrassed to let Jesus know what was going on in that conversation. So the disciples here in verse 34, that they were arguing about who was the greatest. Right? Again, remember those discussions we used to have? Well, I don't know about you, but I know us, right? Uh, whose daddy was better than whose daddy? Well, my brother is better than your brother. Remember those conversations? Or my so-and-so is fasting you and uh, you name the issue. We all have seen arguments between people about all types of personal issues. But this argument over who's the greatest, it seems to be over the top. <laughs> and I find this pretty interesting. Seeing that they had spent so much time with Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, in so many different ways was telling them that I am the Christ. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the King. And now here these couple of peons, they're now talking between themselves, uh, who's the greatest? Is it me? Is it you? No, I'm better than you. But had not even considered that maybe this Jesus who calls himself 
the Christ might be the best of all. It's very interesting that just earlier in this chapter, the disciples had experienced Jesus being transformed right before their eyes. In this same chapter, chapter 9 of Mark. And then they also seen the power of Jesus as he cast, he did an exorcism and cast the demons out of the little boy. And then right before this, here, in chapter 9, beginning in, in, in verse 30, we see the fact that Jesus had just finished telling them about his death and his resurrection. So after all of that, Jesus was telling them that I'm going to die and then I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to be risen from the dead. That after all of that, uh, their only thing that they could figure out uh, the kind of conversation to have and to discuss is who's the greatest? What does the greatest mean? Listen to Muhammad Ali again. Concerning himself. He says this in his most humblest of ways. He says, I'm not the greatest. Come on. Then he says, I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock them out, says I pick them up. He says, uh, uh, I picked the round. He says, I'm the boldest, I'm the prettiest, I'm the most superior, most scientific, most uh, skillfulest. He says, fighter in the ring today. The greatest, it means to be the highest in quality, to be superior in all things. Which means by default that all others must be what? Inferior. So in order to take on the title of the greatest, it must always be in comparison to another. In other words, you are the greatest in comparison to whom? Who are you the greatest in comparison to? To who? So then, therefore, in our passage here, uh, who was the disciples compare, comparing them uh, their great ability or their greatness to? In our passage, they never answered Jesus. But Jesus went ahead and responded to them anyway. Here, Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Mark 9, 35. Here they are, the steps to achieving greatness. So he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms and, and said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus' answer to the question they never asked uh, seems uh, so paradoxical and so puzzling. His answer was, was just mystifying to them. If you expect to be first, you must first be last and a servant? I mean, come on, what? What is that about? This is paradoxical and puzzling because it definitely doesn't seem like the keys for greatness or success 
Uh, go ahead, think about all the, uh, the manuals and the books that you have read or the videos that you have watched uh, concerning how to achieve greatness in this life. Think about them in the back of your mind. And, and one of the things that you typically will not see, typically will not see, is the fact that you must be last or you must be a servant of all people. In other words, who would be willing to begin their trek up the ladder of success by becoming last or becoming a servant of someone? Our idea of attaining greatness would be to study all the grace to figure out how did they live? You know, what did you do? What did you breathe? What did you eat? Come on, how can I be great? Our idea of attaining success is to get in the mindset of those whom we respect and those whom we admire. Another way we try to attain greatness is by hanging around successful people. Amen? That one of the things you want to know, you want to get around those people who are the up and the coming, those who already have it. You, you, you try to network. That is the reason why we network, because we're trying to figure ourselves out and maybe we can get connected with the right people who can help us ascend that ladder of greatness or that ladder of success. And then we try to ask people that we think that are great questions like, uh, can you give me a few pointers that will help me ascend uh, this ladder while improving my performance? So Jesus says the first step to achieving greatness is to first of all be last and to be a servant. Again, the idea of being last is crazy advice because people who want to be great, they want to be first. Come on. I can't imagine Muhammad Ali being in the ring talking about, you know what, I want to be the greatest, so let me be last. Go ahead and knock me out. Being first means you get preferential treatment by all others due to your ability to excel at all things. Years ago, uh, when I was studying martial arts, uh, that uh, I came across uh, this teacher in Japan. Uh, in Japan, His name was Mas Oyama. And one of the things I found out about him is that in order to study with him, there was one thing you had to do first. You know, during that Bruce Lee craze. But this one guy, he was serious. He was serious. But he says that, I accept all people in to study with me because you deem me to be great and you also want to be great. But the one thing that I want you to do first is to clean toilets for about six weeks. I want you to go and clean behind all these karate students who are at my school. Day in and day out, you had to make sure uh, that it was so clean that you could uh, dip your glass in and drink some water. Uh, can you imagine wanting to learn and the first thing that you have to do is do something that's not related to what you want to do? The bottom line, a servant is someone in this context is a person who assists and someone who helps all others. And I know it doesn't sound bad at all. And I know many of you in here today, you love to help other people. And this is good. This is commendable. Isn't it a good thing to want to help people? We should want to do that out of the goodness of our hearts. 
But I found out that most people like to be servants until they're treated like a servant. When you're treated like a servant, then no longer do you want to be a servant anymore. But what would it be like if everyone was the greatest? Everyone was the greatest here in this church or the school or the job where you attended. David Garland says it well, and I quote. He says, a place filled with prima donnas who want to control everything rarely helps those inside or outside the organization. Rarely. Greatness in God's kingdom is signified by the willingness to serve others. Uh, even Jesus said he did not come uh, to be served. He says he came to do what? He came to serve. Uh, so the path uh, to greatness in the kingdom of God is through servanthood. So the first step to achieving greatness is to learn to be last and learn to be a servant. The second step is simply this. You must accept those who are weak. Accept those who are weak. Next, by way of example, Jesus takes a child in his arms and gives him a lesson about the servants of helping others. He uses the child as an example because a child in no way has gained any street credit. You know, when you help a child, you know they're not going to give back to you. You're just helping them again out of the goodness of your heart. This child is innocent, harmless, can't help your bottom line, and was considered the least valuable in these ancient cultures. The ancient society was brutal. They could care less about a kid. A kid can go out in the street and get hit and could care less about what happened to that child. But when you look at our society, it doesn't seem like it's the same thing. And somehow in our society, we value our kids a lot more. But in the context of Jesus, it simply was not the case. Most people could care less, and they treated their kids more like servants than little people that they loved. But I know some of you say that, that I'm clear about this because I help kids all the time. But what about that kid that your skill set is unable to speak to? Would you have time for them? Would you have time for the marginal child as you would for the kid that has great promise and has the fire in their eye? Would you have time for them as well? So Jesus, he goes beyond though just thinking about a child and moves to helping anyone that is defenseless, anyone that is helpless, and anyone that is marginalized. In addition, the mind of a child doesn't know they need help, but if a mature individual uh, that can look and see that they are in desperate shape, the strength is able to reach out and help them, then we're talking a different story. So anyone you deem unworthy of your attention is the exact person that Jesus has in mind for you to target. Why? Because our default is uh, only to notice people who have been working hard. Again, only those people that we recognize that has that fire in the eye that look like they're up and coming. How many times have you seen that in your life? That you so desperately want to be chosen, but they always choose that person. No, I want this person here because they want it. They are hungry. They have the fire in their eye while you or someone else that you knew, they just kind of went by the wayside. So, we need to stop and Think about the big picture for a second. I know many of you knew 
to the series, but if you've been walking through these messages through the book of Mark, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't heard anything or you'd like to hear more, just log into our website and you can hear uh, we're preaching through the entire uh, book of the Gospel of Mark. And today we're in chapter 9. And the question that we must ask is, does Jesus teach these lessons with a sheer philosophical bent in mind? Does he just want us to be smart? In other words, uh, is it purely about teaching us about dealing with other people? Was Jesus thinking about a greater purpose? If we are honest, we could say there was plenty of other teachers in this, in this world. Plenty of teachers. We know there are plenty of people that teach great things. Come on, tell the truth. You've heard of the teachings of Buddha. You've heard of the teachings of Confucius. Socrates. You name them, you've heard them all. Hegel, you've heard them all. But yet, uh, they all do not exist on equal planes. There is an innate desire in all of us to be the greatest and the best that we could possibly be. <laughs> this is especially true in the United States, right? In the United States, uh, the leader of the world, our culture, has been gradually conformed with this in mind. And yes, it is true. Just think about it for one second. Uh, think about what uh, the one uh, presidential candidate, uh, what his slogan is, whether you agree with him or not. But just think about what he says, uh, that we're going to make America what again? Uh, we're going to make America great again. Everybody wants to be great. Everyone wants to be number one. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to be the best in their career and the best in their department? to gain uh, company-wide recognition. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to be the best? Who wouldn't want the bumper sticker that says that my child is an honor roll student at such and such a school? Right? And I know some of you, uh, sometimes when you see that and you know what your kid is not and you see what somebody else's kid is, you say, why they got them bumper stickers? They don't need those bumper stickers all over the place. You know, you know how it is. Deep down inside, really wanting to just put uh, plaster your car with those bumper stickers. If you are not striving for the best, our society says, then what are you doing? Why are you taking up space? But here it is, right? Being the greatest is always plagued by the after you syndrome. Being the greatest is always plagued by the after you syndrome. Well, what are you talking about? Well, here it is. There's always somebody bigger. There's always someone better. There's always someone better than you somewhere down the pipeline. So if you think you're that and a bag of chips, just live long enough and you're going to find out you're not as good as you thought you were. Someone in the future always has the potential of breaking your record and establishing themselves in the halls of greatness. There is room only for so many in the museum, and even if uh, they put your, uh, 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 a statue, a bust of your head in some museum, just know that maybe in 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, they're going to take your head and they're going to put it in the basement. One day, your head, your big old head, isn't that interesting, right? Have you ever thought about that? 
that the, uh, I never thought about that till right now, the fact that, you know, when they make a bust size uh, of a person's head, always it's, it's a little bit bigger than what it is in, in reality, right? And that gives us a picture of the fact, you know, some people just got big heads, and that even in, after they die, they, we're going to understand they had nothing but big heads. So the first true step of greatness in this life the, follow, the, the bottom line is that it's, it's very mixed because it's according to people's standards. Dmitry Karamazov, he says this, and I do quotes. You have to deal with a man of honor, a man of the highest honor. He says, above all, don't lose sight of it. A man who's done a lot of nasty things but has always been and still is, he says, honorable at bottom in his inner being. That's just what's made me, he says about himself, wretched all my life. He says, that's the very thing that when I think of myself being great or anyone else being great, that's the one thing for me that made me wretched all of my life. He says that I yearn to be honorable says, that I was, so to say. He says, I was a martyr to the sense of honor. He said he would die for honor. He says he would look for honor as if he was looking for it with a flashlight or a lantern, according to his writings. But then he says this, and yet all of my life, I've been doing nasty things. Yet all of my life, I've been doing nasty things. If it wasn't for you knowing who you really are deep down inside, you know that you would already be the greatest. Being the greatest is nothing more than lip service about yourself. Many achieve greatness according to the standards set forth by people, yet deep down inside, that greatness is muted by the intense reality of who we really are at our core. Who are you? Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says that no one seeks God. This is what we call, or what I call, the hypocrisy of greatness. So we all know that people who look for greatness, we all know this, this is true, they're looking for immortality. That's right. People who are seeking greatness, they're looking for immortality. Uh, how can I really live forever? Well, you know, most people, they, they know they're not going to live forever. I know I'm not going to live forever. But the bottom line, uh, that we think to ourselves that there is a way for us to live uh, forever. Plato says this, I am persuaded that all men do all things, and the better they are, the more they do them. In hope of the glorious fame of immortal value, for they desire the immortal. You want to make sure that your mark is left in the world. That's what it's about. I know. Uh, I remember years ago when I was teaching, I told all of my students this on the first day when they had a lesson with me or when they were in my class. Okay, I'm going to teach you guys how to be the best at what you're doing. 
And you can see the hope in their eyes. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to be the best at what I'm doing. I said, you're going to be the best, but you have to promise me a couple of things. Number one, you're going to do everything I tell you to do. They said, okay, we're going to do uh, Mr. Spencer or whatever they called me, right? Uh, they called me something else when they leave my class, but I guess in my class they call me Mr. Spencer, right? Uh, Mr. Spencer, we're going to do everything you tell us to do. I said, okay. So as long as you do everything I tell you to do, you can go ahead and tell everybody I'm your teacher. But if you don't do what I tell you to do, don't you dare tell anybody I'm your teacher because I'm going to deny it. Because what I was trying to do, I was trying to set myself up saying that, okay, if I'm going to really buy into this greatness factor, I have to make sure that all my students who are doing what I'm supposed to do, that they give me good advertisement. Amen? And all those bad folks that they just pretend like they never went to school in their life. Amen? Right? If you're a teacher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So it is our lessons, our techniques that we hope will perform Propel, propel us forward. And the fact that we leave behind people who are children all over the place, people who have learned from us and have espoused us, some of our ideas, have welcomed our ideas. And thus living forever is sustained uh, through those we have led through mental agility, those whom we have mentored. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, uh-uh, no, 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 no. He says, this is the way to immortality. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have immortality. But have immortality. Jesus says that if you want to be great, if you want to last forever, if you want immortality, that if you want to live an existence that goes on and on and on, he says that you cannot perish, you will not perish if you only believe in him. That, my friends, it's true immortality, that is true greatness. Why is that greatness? I don't understand because it is not lifting up my name. It, well, it is greatness because you are lifting up the, the name of the one who has died for us, who has died for our sins. In Jesus alone will we find greatness. Why? Because Jesus is great. In Jesus alone will we find immortality. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. Because God alone is great. That greatness will come. And God will bring his greatness to live in you. And you never ever have to worry a day in your life, what are the steps that I must uh, uh, go through and I must learn to achieve greatness in my life. How do I do it? Jesus gives a simple answer. Believe in me. Let us pray.